skies. be seated. Hi, my name is 
Katie Frugier, and I serve as the Director for Cultural Engagement for the Baptist General Convention of Texas. And as we work in cultural engagement, one of the things that we get to do is community development. Going into communities, sharing the gospel, sharing the love of Christ, being the boots-on-the-ground ministries to be able to make sure that people not only hear about the love of Christ, but feel the love of Christ in their respective ministries. We work across a spectrum of a lot of ways, but one of the things we do is we work with ministries that work with human trafficking survivors. And when you work with these ministries, often what you see are women who are coming in from very difficult, broken situations, desperately in need of just a safe place to be able to heal. One of our ministries has been able to come alongside women, give them trauma-informed care, give them a safe space to be able to heal, restore, and sometimes these victims even are able to come through and finish a degree, start a whole new life, and be empowered and be able to continue to spread that message of hope for the next generation of women who are coming out of human trafficking. When you give to the Mary Hill Davis offering, you are partnering with these ministries to be able to make sure that they have the resources they need to come alongside victims of human trafficking, to let them know they are loved, that there's a safe place for them, and that Christ is there with them in every moment. So thank you for giving to the Mary Hill Davis offering. Thank you for coming alongside us and being a partner in ministry. Well, good morning and happy Third day of fall, um, here in Texas where fall is just a rumor, um, but there are places in the world that do experience fall and we're, we're, we're grateful for those folks that get to see leaves actually turn different colors and not just brown and fall to the ground. But it's a good reminder that the Lord does have seasons, um, not only spring, summer, winter, and fall, but also seasons in our life. And so no matter what season of life you're in this morning, um, you're welcome here and um, we hope that the Lord will speak to you through the songs, through the, the reading of Scripture, and through, um, through the teachings later. And most of all, we just hope you enjoy, um, you feel welcome, and you enjoy the presence of the Lord. If you're visiting this morning, and I know Theda has some family here, we're glad to have you. Um, if it's your first time, second time, or how many times you can't count, um, it is good to see you. We are glad um, to have you with us this morning. In, our, um, in the bulletin that you may have received, it was, I think, light blue today, there's a little card, looks like this. Um, it's a communication card, a connect card. If you want to uh, share information or would like to receive information from us, just jot it down on this little card and put it in the offering plate. We're going to pass it around in a moment or two. Also, if you need to or would like to share a prayer request, we can join in praying with you about something. Just write that on the back and please just let us know if you'd rather, if, you, if it's okay to share it on the email or you would rather us to keep that private and we will do our, our best to honor your request. So we welcome you to Cross Timber this morning, if you're here in person or if you're online, it's good to, to see your faces, and we expect the Lord to, to speak to us this morning. I want to remind you just a few things before we read from 1 Peter chapter 1, so if you want to start finding your way. The first thing is, we saw in the video there from Dr. Cruz that we are still collecting our offering for Mary Hill Davis offering for state missions. We're a little bit past the halfway point of our goal, so we still have a ways to go. And all of that money goes for mission work here in the state of Texas. And it goes to, to minister literally in, in, in ways that it helps churches minister in ways that we couldn't do by ourselves as we partner together. We share our resources and we're able to minister. And in this case, I'm highlighting the, the ministry to women that have been victims of trauma, whether through abuse or trafficking. If you would like to give that, we're still collecting. You can just write on your check, um, missions offering, Mary Hill Davis, or if you put it in an envelope, just put on their missions offering and we'll know to get that to the right place. 
Um, also, at the end of our service this morning, we'll be um, sharing the Lord's Supper together. It's an opportunity for us to reflect not only on the sacrifice and the death of our Savior, but also on um, the wonderful promise that He is coming again. He has been He's crucified. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose to new life. He ascended to heaven. And praise the Lord, one day He's coming again. And in that time, we have work to do as we work to share the good news of His kingdom um, to all those on the earth. Men, just want to remind you that in the morning is men's breakfast, 6.30 at the Elk Diner. It's a good opportunity to start the week, if you're able, with prayer and with breakfast and fellowship. So I'd like to invite you to that. And then I just want to share with you two other opportunities um, to be involved. You know, Here at Cross Timber, we believe in, in gathering. That's when we come together like this for worship. We together, We believe in growing together. That's through things like Sunday school, discipleship, and small groups. And then we go. We we take the good news out into the world, only not only here in our community, but around the world, which reminds me that we need to remember um, Scott Woodson and Ken and Michelle West. They departed yesterday um, for a multi-leg journey to help them arrive in Tanzania to minister to, to ministers and their wives, and so be in prayer for them. But one of those components is a grow component. And um, since um, I don't know when, I guess since after... Um, it's been several years. John and Cindy Stanley have hosted a life group in their home. Um, they continue to meet on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. It's in their home. And if you have questions or if you need directions and you would like to be a part of that, um, John is back there and Cindy's back there, and they would be happy to, to not only share um, a little bit more about their group, if you ask, but also how to get to their home at 6 o'clock. But I also wanted to tell you about another opportunity uh, for you to... So you haven't been in a group before, but you would like to. Another group is starting here at the church next Sunday evening, afternoon at 4 p.m., October the 2nd. Um, and we have some, some folks that are already interested. And if you would like to be a part of that group, we have a sign-up sheet that is outside of this door and to your left. So it's, it's on the little table in front of the restrooms. And so if you just attach your name on there and some way to contact you, we have most of your information, but just in case, write it down. And so we'll meet and organize next week, and then October 9th, it's exciting. We're going to start um, a study on prayer. It's eight weeks long. Um, it's called The Battle Plan for Prayer. Many of you have seen movies um, by the, the Kendrick brothers, and the movie War Room came out several years ago. And, and based on some of the principles that um, are in that movie about prayer, um, they developed a, a very um, powerful study, very practical study about how we can pray specifically and pray powerfully for God to to work not only in our lives, in our families' lives, in our community, but also around the world. And we're going to start sharing that study together on October the 9th. But if you're interested, just come next Sunday evening at 4 o'clock. We'll probably wrap up around 5.30. And um, if you put your name on the list, we'll reach out to you during the week. And I'm looking, and I don't have anything. Oh, last thing I wanted to remind you. I just don't want you to forget about this. If you still have your bookmark somewhere, hopefully you remember where it is. Hopefully it's not in your drawer and lost, but still continue to pray and ask God to reach out to your one, that person that you thought, I'm in contact with them on a regular basis, and I would love um, to have the opportunity as God allows to share the good news with them. And gosh, wouldn't it be a wonderful privilege for God to allow you to be a part of their new beginning in God's kingdom as a child of God. So um, if you don't have one of these cards and would like to grab one, there's still some out there on the table. 
It just gives you a, a place to write a name of somebody you're praying for. And then there's scriptures to read for 30 days as you pray for that person, hopefully even after 30 days. And then as you get the chances to share with them the good news about the Lord Jesus, trusting that he'll bring salvation. Um, I'd like for us to read from 1 Peter chapter three, First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, down through verse 9, and then our deacons will come and receive our offering this morning. Peter writes these words, starting verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the great, excuse me, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Gentlemen, you come. Please join me in prayer. Our dear most gracious Heavenly Father, as we gather here today in this kind of this congregation to worship and give thanks for all you do for us. Lord, we want to thank you and bless you that you have blessed us in so many ways. It's hard to number. So today, Lord, let us give thanks to you and return those blessings in form of the tithe. And all these things we ask it, oh, Jesus. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Amen.
Would you stand and sing with us this morning? Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.
can find the passage we'll be in in just a moment in Psalms, so toward the front part of your Bible, chapter 85, and we'll be looking at that together this morning as we conclude our brief three-week look at something we could literally probably, um, well, we say could spend a lifetime looking at, and that's God's willingness to to bring revival to His people. We've looked at it for the last couple of weeks, and I hope by now that you have recognized that revival is much more than just an organized meeting, whether it was in a tent in the old days or a building in the new days. But as Roy Hessian said, and I introduced last week, revival is the life of the Lord Jesus poured into human hearts. And that revival ultimately returns Christians, you and I, to the mission of Jesus. It gets us from off track to to back on track, to turn us back toward the Lord and His work that He wants to do in our day. But I want to take you back a few years in history. It's noon. It's September 23rd, and the year is 1857. There was a sign hung outside the building that said, Prayer meeting from 12 to 1 o'clock. Stop 5 minutes. Stop 10 minutes or 20. Or the whole hour as your time permits. At noon, the prayer meeting started and there was only one man there. His name was Jeremiah Lanfear. Jeremiah was a lay missionary. He left his job as a, a salesperson to help a struggling church in New York that had less than 15 people and was destined to close its doors. He gave up his job for a stipend that paid him less than $1,000 per year. He was 49 years old. He had no experience in church work, but he knew God had called him, and so in obedience he went. And as noon turned to 1205, 1210, 1215, 1220, 1225, he waited there alone. Finally, about 1230, another gentleman walked in. A couple of minutes later, another, until finally there were six individuals at his prayer meeting. They prayed for a few moments, dismissed, and then upon mutual agreement, decided they would meet again next week, same time. The next meeting, there was 20. Then the week after that, it was 40. And then all of a sudden, at the time, in the 1850s, the worst financial crisis in the history of the young United States occurred on October 14th. The economy fell. There was panic in the streets. People were fearful. And that along with a declining moral culture placed the United States in desperate need of revival. And in a prayer meeting, Started by one man, the spark of revival started in New York. And after a short time, that one man grew into a group of over 3,000 that gathered in what they called the Fulton Street Prayer Meeting. Six months after that crash, in October of 1814, over 10,000 businessmen gathered every day in New York City to pray. Soon the prayer Movement spread across the United States. It began in other places in the world. And revival 
had began. News spread. Lives were changed in 1859 and on to 1860. And during the highest point of the revival, it was estimated that over 50,000 people came to know Jesus as their Savior each day. History would call this the second great awakening. The first being in the time of Jonathan Edwards in the earlier period. And revival was started because one man, Jeremiah Lanthier, and a few others saw a desperate need and sought the Lord. And this morning, as we look at Psalm 85, I want to introduce the idea to you that God is willing to revive His people when they recognize the need, prepare their hearts, and call on His name. We look at a psalm this morning that is titled, From the Sons of Korah, and we'll investigate that in just a few moments, but I'd like to read those verses with you. It's just 13 short verses, and then we'll pray. Listen to the words. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God will, the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people, to His saints. But let Him, let them not turn back to folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go up before Him and make His footsteps away. Oh Lord, we are grateful for Your Word, and we do ask You to teach us from these words written in Psalms what it means to pray with passion and pray with urgency for, Lord, You to restore us again, to revive us again. And Lord, help us to see the truth that you have in the words of these scriptures. Help us to apply it to our hearts, to put it into action in the place of prayer and obedience for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God is willing. That's something I think we need to to maybe write down and understand, maybe underline, put an exclamation point. God is willing to revive His people when they recognize their need, prepare their hearts, and call on His name. God stands ready in an instant to pour out His Spirit upon you, upon this congregation, upon this land in a great way if we put ourselves in the right position and get our hearts ready. He is willing to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even begin to imagine. And as we look at this psalm together, I hope that you gain from this a pattern of prayer that you can use not only in praying for revival, but just in your daily prayer life. There's, there's four simple 
points in the bulletin to help you. And the first thing is that praise the Lord for what He has done. True prayer that is powerful begins with praise, giving glory to God for who He is. And the words of the psalm begin, Lord, You were. It's followed up by six you statements, each one identifying ways that God had acted in the past on behalf of His people. And the emphasis is totally on look and see what God has done. Now let's talk a little bit about history, about these men known as the sons of Korah. Because they knew firsthand what it meant to serve a gracious and merciful God. You may remember the story in Numbers 16. A man named Korah started a rebellion because he thought that the people could lead better than God's appointed leader, Moses. God had a different idea. And and Korah, along with 250 men that rose up, were punished immediately. You remember in reading in Numbers 16 that what happened is the ground opened up, swallowed them alive, shut, and it was done. Korah, his family and his followers. But we read on in Numbers 26, verse 11, that some of the sons of Korah were spared. That it wasn't his entire family. But there were some that God spared that received his mercy and not his wrath. They went on to be servants in the tabernacle and the temple. And they are the authors of this psalm. Generations later, still singing praise to God for His goodness and His grace. And so you'll see, as you read through the Psalms, authored by the sons of Korah. And with this understanding of God's incredible grace and mercy, they are praising God for what He has done in past history. Pointing to His willingness to restore and forgive His people. You see, all along, God had a plan when he talked to Abram that the people of God, the Israelites, would dwell in the land, call it the promised land, that he gave to them. They would be faithful to him. They would be obedient. He would be their God. They would be his people. And it would be God's people in God's place under his rule, under his blessing. Granted, they were obedient to his commands. And we read time and time again of their failure, of God's forgiveness, and their returning to Him. And in verses 1 through 3, you see words that point to the gracious act of God toward His people. Oh, the Lord was favorable to the land. He gave them a land. He blessed it. He preserved it. After they were taken away into captivity, He returned them to their land. And even today, He's returned them to their land, and He blesses the land of Israel. He restored the fortunes of Jacob, of his people. Each time God's people would turn back to him, his promise was he would turn toward them. Zechariah records those words, return to me and I will return to you. He forgave them of their iniquity. Covered their sin. That sin would be forgiven and removed. He withdrew his wrath or his hot anger that God would forgive God would restore and based on God's record in the past God's people can expect God 
to continue to forgive and renew his people in the future. If you've investigated God's record lately as you've read your Bible, you'll find that God has a perfect batting average. He always does what he says. And so as as if when the writers here, the sons of Korah, they're introducing this psalm, they're saying, God, we've seen what you've done in the past, and we want to experience that continued work in our lives in the future, and we trust that you will do it again. I jotted down a couple of things just in relation to prayer that might be helpful, is that when we pray, I know sometimes we're busy, and we jump right in, and we just say, God, you know, thank you, I need this, I need this, I need this, well, i got to go. Um, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Um, Sounds a lot like a conversation of an adult child talking to an adult parent. Um, Where, in fact, our relationship needs to begin with praise and adoration. And we see these men, these sons of Korah, starting with praise and adoration. God, this is who you are. This is what you have done. So when you pray, just try to get in the pattern of not asking for anything in the beginning. Just allowing yourself to become more and more aware of God's worthiness, of God's goodness and your neediness. And as you begin to do that, as you begin to list just out in prayer, in voicing things to the Lord about who He is, you'll soon move toward the second point, and that is to recognize what we need. See, verses 4 and 5 are calling out to God, because of the grace and mercy he showed in the past. Look at verse 4. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. He's asking for restoration or for God's people, for God to turn toward them again. That word in Hebrew means to turn or turn, return or turn back. a desperate cry for for God to intervene and to mend what has been broken, to heal what's been wounded. Now, you probably know this. Desperate people will do almost anything. Critical situation comes up. It's last chance. It's a do-or-die situation, and desperation drives us to action. And this particular action is actually the only action that will accomplish God's help, and that's to ask for it, to call out for help. And so they they call to God, who they see as their only hope. They say, God, we know what you've done in the past. You restored, you forgave your people. Will you not do it again? Because we need you now, and we are desperate. Have you thought about this? When's the last time you would honestly say you were desperate for God? Our desperation drives us to dependence. When we get to the end of who we are, we come to realize that the Lord, the Lord Jesus is our only hope. He's the only answer. And the beauty of the gospel is that God is willing to restore anyone to turn their hearts back toward Him, to turn toward them. And that God generously offers a way back to the wanderer 
to the down and out, to the one who feels like they've blown it and doesn't have another chance. God gives the gift of repentance to turn back toward Him. But like any other gift, to enjoy the benefit of that gift, we have to receive it to enjoy it. And so when we say restore us again, we see God's willingness, but it's also our part to do in coming to Him. See, God can only revive you, can revive us when we turn away from sin and self and turn back toward Him. That's what repentance is. And as we saw previously, it's repentance that prepares us to receive what God has for us in revival. And continuing in that thought, if you get to verse 5, you see two questions that are, that are met with an obvious no answer. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Lord, have we blown it for the last time? Are you done with us? Are you going to be mad forever? And God, is this going to affect me, my children, and my children's children? And the answer to both was no. That when they were willing to confess their need and their sin and declare their hope in God, He would work and He would forgive just like He'd done in the past. And you see that in the need that we have for revival, it's not only for for my heart and your heart, but it affects your children and your grandchildren. That what starts today will continue on for years and they will see the future blessings of God's faithfulness dependent on our obedience. And I thought about this. You know, when's the last time I've been desperate? But as a people, as God's people, as the church, are we desperate enough to see a change in our world that we would turn toward God? There's been a lot of emphasis placed upon the crucialness of the midterm elections and I'm not saying that they're not important you should be informed you should vote according to your conscience but we need to always remember that it's only God that can bring about true change in, in a country, in a world and that God would turn our hearts once again toward Him, that we would receive the forgiveness that he offers. We'd realize that He doesn't want to be angry with us forever. He won't be if we turn to Him and that He would bring restoration that would not only affect us now, but future generations. And when we recognize that need, that desperate need, and we bring it to God, He is willing to provide. Look at verses 6 and 7 where they begin to ask. So we see there's praise, then there's identification of the need, then there's asking for what God desires. I wrote it that way because, you know, the truth of Scripture is God is more than willing and ready to answer any prayer that is in the name of Jesus and according to His will. And we're looking at an exact, an exact type of request when we see this today. You know, we, we could plan, and churches have planned revival meetings, opportunities to 
to come together and they bring in a musician and a speaker to have a revival. But only God can bring true revival. And it starts one heart at a time. See, God's desire is to revive human hearts. His greatest joy is bringing life to those that are spiritually dead. But He also wants to revive life in those who have faded in their faith. He's done it in the past. He's willing to do it again. And it can begin in your heart. And it is true that we could see revival in our day. Look at verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now, we've had two questions with a negative answer. This question has an affirmative answer. Will you not revive us again? God says, yes, I'm willing. Literally, the, the language there would be more like, will you not cause us to live again? Why would you need to be made alive again if you're already alive? kind of a puzzling thing to think about but let me try to illustrate it think about it this way in the winter or maybe even though they're in the last two months the grass in your yard may appear to be dead now after three months of no rain it may actually be dead but during the winter months it becomes brown and dry and there's little sign of life and if you were to ask me to describe it it's dull it's brown and it's not doing much it's just there. But when spring comes, the sun warms the earth, the rain brings refreshing, and all of a sudden, grass that was brown turns to grass that was green. Why? Because life that was always there is renewed. It's very similar in our own life. Each one of us enjoy, has seasons. It may not be enjoyable, but there are seasons that we feel spiritually dull dry, don't experience much spiritual activity. We need something to change. We need God to move. And when the light of the glory of Jesus shines afresh into our lives, and when the living water of the Holy Spirit rains down on us, and what seemed to be dead and dormant is brought to life in just a moment. And that's what revival is. It's the life of the Lord Jesus poured into human hearts. It's reviving what is seemingly dead. And the prayer here is, Lord, revive us again and we will rejoice in you. Show us your love that is faithful. Grant us your salvation. And we can pray this with great confidence because we know it is according to what God's plan is. Listen to what John wrote, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. God is willing. Are we ready do we have the confidence in him to trust in him to do what he says he'll do or another way you could say that is the fourth thing on your outline are we 
trusting or resting in what God will do. I wrote both of those words there because I couldn't decide which one I liked the best. I, I like both, but if you trust or rest in what God will do, verses 8 through 13. The prayer here turns from us, us, us to an individual speaking with great confidence. Listen to verse 8. Let me hear what the Lord will speak. Head up, ears ready to hear, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. So there's faith, there's a belief God is going to do something. There's anticipation, readiness by his saints, or you may want to understand that as loyal ones, faithful ones, set-apart ones. And the message of this section, you can summarize in one sentence in verse 12. The Lord will give what is good. When we see our need and cry out to God in desperation, we have the assurance the Lord will give what is good. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7? God gives good gifts to those who ask him. Isn't that wonderful? God gives good gifts. God does good toward us when we turn to him. That reminds me, it encourages me, he's willing to bring revival. He hears the prayers of revival and he'll give what is good. The blessing of new life and salvation and then to those that are already saved, the reality of what it means to be lived, living a resurrection life. Taking that truth of the gospel knowing it, believing it, applying it to your life. For salvation and for life that is abundant as well. You know, on one level we see that salvation, when we receive the truth of the gospel, brings freedom from, from sin, death, and hell. That's exciting, that's liberating, but the, good, the better part of it is it doesn't stop there. That salvation also frees us to live in fellowship with God. That it's much more than securing your eternal destiny. It frees you up to live in this life in fellowship with God, in a revival-type life where you experience the blessing of His presence on a daily basis and your operations are in the power of His Spirit. And verses 10 and 11 give us just a a beautiful poetic picture of the benefit of the blessing of salvation, the coming of his kingdom, what it means to be experiencing revival. Listen to verse 10. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. And then verse 11, faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. To be honest with you, I read these two verses yesterday for about a solid hour, trying to exactly figure out how to explain them because they're so beautiful. And in my mind, it paints a picture that my mouth can't speak. It's, it's challenging. And, and hopefully it's the same way for you. But really, these verses all point to attributes of who God is. You see there, steadfast love. He's faithful. He's righteous. He's the God of peace. And all of these attributes are 
personified. They're, you know, God qualities that are given like human actions. And you have two of them meeting together. Steadfast love and faithfulness, you know, get together on a Monday morning for a cup of coffee. Righteousness and peace meet each other on the street and they share a greeting of the day that was common, a kiss on the cheek of acceptance. Joyful, unified, gathering together of the attributes of God. And so you can kind of picture that. You can kind of picture people getting together and, and getting you know, excited about one another. But then as I was reading, I was thinking, you know, where is the one place in all of history that we know that God's steadfast love and faithfulness, His righteousness and His peace all intersected one another? I may have given it away because I crossed my arms, but if you think about the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross, each one of those coming together in perfect harmony, the echoing of the psalm writer, God's faithful love endures forever, is met with the truth that Jesus spoke in John to Nicodemus, that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. The echo that God's faithfulness endures to all generations. That as our Savior walked a road that we are so thankful that He did, but so sorrowful that He had to, to pay the price for our sin, He was beaten, He was humiliated, He was hung on a cross and He died as He gave the ultimate sacrifice. God showed His love and faithfulness. But also, righteousness and peace kiss one another. Those things kind of seem opposite to one another. God's righteous demand that we be holy and above reproach, and then the peace of God that passes all understanding. And when you look at that moment on the cross, His death, the death of Jesus, satisfied the righteous demand of the law, and made peace with God at the same time. Then in one instant, all of those attributes came together. All the blessings of heaven would meet the cross and would be poured out to those who were considered faithful. Not perfect, but those who called on the name of the Lord, who put their faith in Jesus. And when we have that vision of the Lord Jesus high and lifted up as the King, when we get our, our priorities in the right place, then we begin to see that peace between God and man is restored and refreshed on our life. There's a renewed fruitfulness. You wake up with purpose. You wake up with meaning. It's not, oh my gosh, here we go again. I've got to go to work. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. There's more of a want to and a get to in our step. There's an anticipation that our, our life, our work begins to matter. The ministry we do, and I say that word purposefully, the ministry that we do as God's people, because like it or not, if you're one of God's children, if you're a member of His body, then you are ministers in the places that you go. You minister here in this body to these people. You know, you, your, your presence is a ministry. 
your service is a ministry, your teaching is a ministry, your prayers are a ministry, but also we minister wherever we go in the name of the Lord. And those things become fruitful when God begins to get us in the right place through revival. We experience his guidance and his power to do what pleases him. I think that's one of the most incredible things of all this, that God says, these are the things I want you to do and I'll call you to do. And then on the other side, he says, this this is what I'm going to give you, my spirit and my presence to allow you to do those things. And that's when men and women begin to live transformed life. The kingdom begins to grow and God gets all of the glory. See, God is willing. He's willing to revive his people. And they recognize the need, prepare their hearts, and call on his name. And I ask you, do you believe that this morning? In 1857, on September 23rd, when Jeremiah Lanthier nailed that sign to the door of the building for his prayer meeting, he believed in his heart God would bring revival. He prepared his heart. He called on the Lord. He was willing to stand alone. And over time, more and more joined him and more and more hearts were changed. What would happen? What could happen? If we were committed to prepare our hearts and seek the Lord. God has put us here in this place to be a part of a ministry that is beyond what any one of us could do. In fact, we couldn't even start on our own. And that's to partner with God as He transforms broken families into healthy homes where Jesus is first. Wow. How do we do that? We find out what God says and we join him there. But it starts with anticipation. Resting on God is willing. God is willing. It requires our preparation turning our hearts to God, taking time in prayer, taking time in confession and repentance, setting ourselves apart for His purpose. It takes consecrated, dedicated, and consistent prayer. What does that mean? We can't just have a big prayer time at the end of our session today and think we're done. Now that's just the beginning. It takes continued crying out to God that we... We generate our prayer requests from the truth of His Word. We're led by His Spirit as we pray, and we trust in God to move one heart at a time, starting with us, starting with me. And as one life changes, another life changes. And as one light goes into a dark place, light begins to shine. And a broken family with one person who turns their heart to Christ can soon be a home where Christ is first, a home that is healed and restored and transformed. And good news will spread.
I don't know about you, but every time I look on Facebook and there's a young adult that runs away, it breaks my heart. 14-year-old, 15-year-old, you know, girl, boy, couple, they're gone, they're missing. Why are they running? Because they're hurting and mom and dad are hurting and they don't know what to do about it. And so all they do is run. What if we were a place? What if we were a people that shine the light of Jesus that when those felt they had to run, they would know who they could run to? And that would be the Savior. And things have got to be different than where we are now. We can't stay the same and expect God to do that. We have to be ready. We have God's promise that He will bring revival our prayer this morning be oh lord revive us and let it start let it start with us you join me as we pray fourth it's so challenging in just a few minutes to even begin to tackle a subject like this but we are so um, overwhelmed by your your goodness that you've shared with us in your word That when we look at these words, restore us again, O God of our salvation, and will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? We believe it. Let's commit our hearts to pray in it. And if we're having trouble believing it, Lord, just open our eyes to see that you are willing. Lord, we ask you to help us to recognize the needs, the needs of our own hearts, the hurts the brokennesses, the brokenness, the prejudice, the pride, the laziness, the unwillingness, the apathy. Lord, the need that we have to be moved from dull and dry to, to living and flourishing with hope. Lord, help us to recognize our need. Holy Spirit, prepare our, our hearts. As the prophet wrote, Lord, break up the fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. Lord, help us to not reject the plow of the Holy Spirit as he comes to plow up and prepare the soil of our lives. That we would see brokenness and repentance as the opportunity for refreshing and for healing and for revival. Lord, prepare our hearts. And then, Lord, ready us for action. That we would call on the name of the Lord Jesus to do only what he can do. To bring salvation, to bring revival, to bring refreshing. That streams of living water would flow into us and flow out from us. And that we would speak words of life we would minister in the power of your spirit in a way that would be not only encouraging but refreshing. That the things that come out of our lips, the words that we speak would be words of life, words of hope, words that lift up and that don't tear down. And Lord, we wouldn't grow weary in calling out to you to bring revival. And let it start with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So our worship team is here and, and ready. I want us as we, we pause for these moments and, and listen to God to, to dwell on the fact that God is willing. He's willing. And maybe you just need to be reminded of that. Maybe you know he's willing, but the challenge is in, well, I'm not ready. Maybe there's fear, maybe there's doubt, maybe there's a sin. So maybe that's what you need to focus on, is God, just prepare me and get me ready. Prepare my heart. Maybe you need to recommit to, to, play, to being you know, a person of prayer, to call on his name in prayer. But let's use these moments that we have to prepare our hearts to listen to God's word. That we would begin to pray for revival and we would let that revival start in us and start today. If you don't know the Lord Jesus today, it could be the day of salvation by trusting in him, by turning from your sin and putting your faith in him. It can be a day to recommit and to refocus. It be a day to join with this fellowship in, in partnering with us as we serve the Lord together. Whatever the need, I trust that you'll bring it before the throne and allow the Lord Jesus to minister. Would you join me in standing, listening to his voice, and as we sing, responding in praise. Heaven can kiss the Prophet's love all foretold is good. He became the living word to show the human heart its worth. Oh, whether I'm in one or two, whether I'm in hell or ill, our God promises his children. For, for just a moment, and Deborah, why don't you come and you can use this microphone, I think. A few weeks ago, um, I kind of set aside a place in my bedroom with a desk to have a quiet time. And um, I just wanted to meet with the Lord, and I needed Him. And at the same time, in Samara's um, science class, we were doing mental health. And one of the things it talked about was ruminating. You know, ruminating like cows, that they chew their cud, they regurgitate, and then they chew and chew and chew and chew. And as I read that, it just really struck me that a lot of times those things that I'm trying to pray about are not really working as prayer 
but more like ruminating over my problems. I'm sure none of you struggle with that, but, man, I really do sometimes. I relive something somebody said, and I'm hurt, and I just keep reliving it, and I tell the Lord about it, and then I think, okay, I've prayed about it, but then the next day I pick it back up, or even later, two minutes later, I've picked it back up, and I ruminate it over it some more. And it said ruminating is that time when we just keep going around and around and around, and we never come up with a solution. And so in my quiet time that day, you know, sometimes you read a devotion or whatever, and it's like you read it, but you hear it come right from the Lord, from his heart. And it just said, I want to fill you, but you're already full. You're already full. And I want you to drop into my hands what it is that you're full of. And you know, sometimes when God says those things and he asks you, like, what are you full of? He puts his finger right on it and goes, it's this right here. Say this. This is what it is. <laughs> you know, he gives you the answer to the question. And he did that day. And it was smart and rusty. Now, plenty of times, trust me, it's been sin. Plenty of times it's just been sin in my life that needed confession. And I was needing to repent of something. But sometimes it's, that's not what we're full of. Sometimes we're full of heartbreak. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's our children that are wayward. Sometimes it's the disappointment in life that we thought it was going to be this way, but it's that way, and where's God in that? And we're filled with that heartache, and it's heavy, and it's too much to bear, and we ruminate over that and ruminate over it and ruminate over it, and we don't come up to any solutions, and we haven't gotten a hold of God, and nothing changes, and there we are, and we're stuck. But when God says, said to me, drop this into my hands, I saw those nail scars that reminded me of how capable he is to resurrect. How capable he is to bring life out of what I'm stuck in. And I dropped Rusty and Samara into his hands because that's what I was holding and so tight and there wasn't room for God because I was so full of heaviness of how do I raise a daughter in this day how do I protect her how do I do this right knowing Braille isn't enough to be her mom how do I be a good pastor's wife how do I support my pastor how do I not be offended when people find fault with him how do I turn him over to the Lord I dropped him in the capable hands of the Lord. And what happened was what I didn't expect. And things I hadn't even realized I'd been carrying offenses of fell off. They just fell off of me. Because now the Lord is their defender. He can defend them. Now I know that whatever becomes of her life, She's in the capable hands of Jesus Christ. It's not all up to me. But I couldn't receive the fullness because I was trying to carry the burden. And doesn't he say that? Cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. He wants to fill us up. But we've got to let him search us and know us. And we got to let go of that stuff. And that was just the beginning of many things that he's been showing me that I'm full of. 
if he says, Deborah, you're full of it, I know he's right. <laughs> you know? And so I just encourage you to join me on this journey of being emptied, of having everything that needs to be shaken out of our life shaken so that what remains is not the hay wooden stubble of this world, but the gold and the jewels and the precious stones that we may be filled with the fullness of the Most High because you know what I know? I know that He has given me His divine nature. I can partake of His divine nature and I can live above the pettiness of this world. I can live above the beggarliness of just surviving in this world we live in. And I can walk on the highway of holiness with Him because He made a way and He says to me, you yield your your body as instruments of righteousness. My eyes need to look on what's holy. My, My mind needs to be fixed on what's right and just and kind. The divine nature of Christ loves and blesses the enemy you have. All of a sudden, I can partake of that. I couldn't partake of that before because I was too full of my own efforts. So I encourage you, as as we get ready to take communion, God, search me. What is it that he wants to put his finger on and say, let this go so that you can be filled with the fullness of who he is? It doesn't stop there doesn't stop there so as I was there in that presence and he began to empty that and he filled me with himself I was reminded that now I've gotten into the throne room I've gotten into the holy of holies I've grabbed a hold of that mercy seat I got I've got it by the corners and I'm like I'm not letting go until I've got you and I'm not settling for ruminating anymore I need you I'm desperate I can't keep going like I'm going. I can't keep being wounded. I can't keep going like this. I need you. And then I got him. And I mean, it was like electric. It was like you can, you know, because here's how you know Jesus is in the house. Because there's peace. There's joy. There's gentleness. There's kindness. There's love for your enemy. There's It just radiates, and you know, you know you've been in the presence of the Most High God because he's in the house, and it's different. And then you're like Esther, standing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's when you say, this vile Haman has brought destruction against my people. Have we been ruminating over prayers for our country, reliving and rehashing all of its problems? Or have we gone before the throne of God and said, we're not moving until you change this world we're in? These are desperate times. Our boys are dressed like girls. Our girls are dressed like boys. Their heads are shaved. What's wrong? We've ruminated over the problem. That's what's wrong. And God's people don't know how to enter the inner, the inner sanctum and to grab hold of him and say, I'm wrestling with you all night until I see a change, until I see things happen. And we come in and we lay hold of that place and we say, God, only you, only you, I can't do it. It's time. It's time that we stop playing marbles with diamonds. And step into that place and be filled with him and step into those garments of intercession.
and say, things have got to change. And I believe by faith that you can do it. And the world will see us not so critical and not so judgmental. And they'll be drawn to the love and the grace of God. And they will want what, he, what he, they see in us. But if they see us just broken like they are, going through the motions of some religious activity, it doesn't mean anything. Then what do they want? Why are they going to want what we've got? But when we come out of the, that place, and we're in the world, and we've had a hold of God, and that peace... Because it comes to the core, that place, that core place you've got to let go of, it radiates to the circumference. And that fragrance begins to splash here and splash there. And the oil of gladness pours out and it ministers to people even when you don't even know it's happening. And it pours out on all of the people around you. And it's the fragrance of the life of Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Those capable hands are able to save the vilest sinner made clean. That's what he's doing, and that's what he wants to do if we'll give him that place beginning here. Praise the Lord that he speaks to his people. Praise the Lord that he gives us ears to hear, and we are we're grateful for his goodness, and just thank you for sharing those words. We have an opportunity to spend time in communion before our Lord, but the scriptures are clear and instruct us that we should prepare our hearts. Deborah has shared, you know, that that God is, is willing to Search those deep places to remove what we're holding on to. We're willing to, to lift it up to Him, to take those, those burdens, those burdens not only of sin, but also of ourself, those things that we would seem as good things. And so as we prepare, we just take a moment to prepare our hearts. And it's, just, it's just God time. It's you and God talking to the Father. There's something in you that needs to be dealt with. Don't let this moment pass. It's a time to seek the Lord. He would work in our hearts, work in our lives for his glory. Lord, we ask you as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper that you would prepare our hearts. That this wouldn't just be another thing we do. That it wouldn't be a, a ritual without meaning, but that we would truly commune with you. And so we're asking for you to cleanse our hearts, to cleanse our minds, to help us to let go of stuff in our lives, things that entangle us, and help us to freely come with clean hearts into your presence that we may experience you as we meet together with you. So cleanse our hearts and our minds, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul 
wrote words to the church in Corinth to give instructions about being a part of this supper that we call the Lord's Supper. And he wrote in verse 23 of chapter 11 that I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Gentlemen, will you pass the, the bread? join me as we we pray lord we are humbled when we think that you broke your body for us we're reminded of the words of jesus where jesus you said you're the bread of life and whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in you will never thirst and we thank you as we take this bread that it's a reminder of your body that was broken for us and we give thanks for the sacrifice and praise for the great love you showed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Me, the bread. Paul continues and gives instruction and says, When the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Gentlemen, will you pass the cup? Peter wrote these words, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. Lord, we thank you that this cup represents the new covenant in your blood. And Lord, help us to remember as often as we drink it to do it in remembrance of you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. like to invite you to, to join with me in standing, and as you're standing, remind you that traditionally here at Cross Timber, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we collect an offering that goes toward our benevolence, and so the gentleman will be standing by the exits, and if you have something you would like to contribute, if you're prepared in that way, just place it in the plate. I um, want to thank you for, for joining us in our fellowship today, and as you, you stand together with me, and before we sing, I'd just like to pronounce a blessing over you from... Hebrews chapter 13. So will you stand with me? 
Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.